personally, I think uh, the system needs to be revamped, mm. starting with the teaching, because I think it all starts in childhood. I think we should show more people of color and their achievements and how they've impacted the design world. Yeah. Because representation matters. Yeah. I'm Dory Tunstall, Dean of Design at OCAD University and the first Black Dean of Design anywhere. And this is Connect for Design Bridges, a series of intimate conversations between diverse design leaders and students about creativity and life, brought to you by the Connect for Mentorship Program. It's a given that design shapes our world, but how it shapes our world and who gets to do so is another question. As with so many other industries and spaces, the professional design field has long been dominated by white people. Indigenous, Black, and other designers of color have started to change that dynamic. Design students like Junior Avalon Garrick have a chance to change it even further. Both Avalon and his mentor, Jonathan Jackson, creative director at We Should Do It All, have had the experience of being the only Black person in the room. As Avalon prepares to start his career, they talk about that shared experience, along with the joys and challenges of finding their footing as designers. Here's Avalon and Jonathan. Hello, my name is Jonathan Jackson. I am creative director at We Should Do It All, a design studio in Brooklyn, New York. I'm 41 years old and I'm from Mount Vernon, New York. My name is Avalon Garrick. I'm 22 years old. I currently live in Cortland Manor, which is in Westchester, New York and I am a transfer student at Mercy College. I am a junior in the graphic design program. Yeah, and I'm gonna throw some questions to you. So were you into visual arts as a kid? Uh, did you draw, paint, any creative projects at all? Yeah, um, so as a kid, I painted a lot. I drew a lot. I, I used to try to draw my favorite cartoon characters like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or, or Kirby. I try to draw my favorite sports players or uh, the sports logos. And I, I like to work with my hands a lot, so I would uh, work with clay a lot, make pots, try to make mugs and stuff, and uh, with popsicle sticks, trying to make uh, like birdhouses and bridges and stuff like that. So yeah, I had a I had a lot to do as a kid. That's cool. If I may ask, who are your sports heroes growing up that you would draw? Mm -hmm. First one that comes to mind is definitely a uh, running back, old running back. He's retired now, uh, Ladanian Tomlinson. Uh, yeah, he's from the San Diego Chargers at the time. Yeah. And yeah, he was just my model growing up. The way his yeah. running style, his personality, his humbleness, I just admired everything about that. Yeah, Ladanian was the man. It's funny that you can refer to him as old because for me, it's like, I don't know, he's just one of those people I kind of grew up with in a way. Someone I was into was Barry Sanders. So he was like a generation before. Mm. My mom subscribed to Sports Illustrated. I was a sports freak. And I would cut up the Sports Illustrated and start to make collages, which is something I was into. Mm -hmm. And I would draw shoes, design shoes a lot. Like that was my thing. But yeah, those are kind of the creative projects I was into. Sweet. Um, so like already being attracted to graphics in a way that I didn't even understand it as a profession, of course, but heavily into Nike and streetwear culture before I even realized, just thinking about like, some of my favorite musicians and what they would wear and the influence that that would have. Yeah, I mean, hip hop was such a huge, like not only the audio, the sound of it, but the visuals that were put forth, the covers of the albums and the mm -hmm. the tapes and CDs at that time. So yeah, that stuff was definitely influential. Uh, what about you? Definitely um, like the shows as well. 
growing up, just seeing like cartoon Spider-Man and what else was out there at the time? I don't know, like Justice League, just stuff like that. Yeah. Just really like that style. I like, I don't know, like color by numbers, stuff like that, like connected yeah, dots, that's cool. stuff like that. Looking back, I really think it, uh, it trained my eye to recognize what looks good and what doesn't. Yeah. Just being precise all the time. Yeah, that's cool. I forgot. Yeah, color by number. I'm, I got my four-year-old into that now. So it's <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, that's cool. Yeah. When did you first recognize graphic design as a profession? So it wasn't really until I actually started at uh, Mercy College in 2018 that I actually recognized it as a profession. I kind of only had limited knowledge of the whole uh, field. So I really just thought it was just about web design or like digital painting, but it really wasn't until I started researching and uh, creating myself that I realized that it was much more than that. Mm -hmm. It's interesting for me, a similar story is like, I feel like it's kind of late to understand that as a profession or just later than maybe your peers would recognize it. Mm -hmm. I'm in the same boat. I first discovered architecture as a profession through my mother who introduced me to like Frank Lloyd Wright and Le Corbusier at the age of like 11, because she saw I was drawing lots of Nike shoes and really into that. But she didn't think there was money to be made as a industrial product designer. So mm-hmm. she's like, oh, you can make your money through architecture. And she was totally wrong about that. But and I wasn't even really thinking about graphic design. And I discovered it through my ex-girlfriend's brother who did it for a living. We were going through my sketchbook one day and he kind of showed me the work of David Carson. That drew me in and then it made me discover Paul Rand and whoever else. So I was probably 20 years old, 21. It was late for me. So I'm curious, you've been in the, not profession per se, because you're in academia right now, but mm-hmm. so describe what it's like in the design world that you've experienced so far. So, so far it's exciting, honestly. Yeah. Initially when I came into the graph design program at Mercy, I didn't really know how small the number of black designers were actually in the field. But uh, my professor, she always does a great job of explaining how uh, historically graph design is just a white male dominated profession Mm -hmm. and how it's slowly starting to change. So it's exciting to be a part of that change. Yeah. In total, there's like a group of five or six of us that are black students. And in the past, I've always been like the only black kid in my team or a part of that small number of black kids in my class or on my sports teams. And it really motivates me to have this chance to make a change and show other people that look like me that uh, they can uh, make it in this field. So when you say five or six in the context of how big is the overall class? Um, About like 15 of us. Okay. So it's yeah. a good number. Yeah, that's cool. That's yeah. cool. Good to be a part of that group. Yeah, for me, that's really good news to hear. I feel like those, that's good signs because... Coming up in the late 90s, early 2000s, being in school, I went to Kent State University in Ohio. Mm -hmm. And there were 12 or 13 Black students out of, we're talking maybe that first week, 125 people. And then, you know, moving into the professional world and working at two architecture studios, I never actually worked for another graphic design office. At both of them, I was definitely the only black person. And then in one of them, I was one of two or three people of color out of like 20. So all to say that it can be lonely at times. Uh, <laughs> just the daily grind of the, the job being hard enough 
has a weight to it. And then when you're constantly seeking some commonalities、uh, when it comes to race or gender, it can be daunting. It could be heavy for sure. So it's something that I'm glad that you're having the experience that you're having. And I'm hoping we continue to go in that route. I think it's important. So I'm curious, you being a, a student in design, what's been the best thing about it so far for you? So, previously to design, I was actually in、uh, the engineering program at Temple University. Yep. And due to、uh, health reasons, I had to take some time off. And then there was this one point where the only place I could get treatment was here in New York. So, I decided just to leave Temple University. And in that transition, I had some time off. And that's where I really started getting into design, really appreciating it and、uh, developing a passion for it. Yeah. And now that I'm actually in the program, I can say the best thing probably is just the freedom that I have to create, really just put my personality in all my work. Opposed to like math and science, they give you an equation, you just plug it in and then that's it. But with design, you could actually put your feelings and emotions into it. And I, I think the best thing is that it's subjective.、Mm. You give everyone the same project, they're going to develop it and design it differently. So I think it's just that uniqueness is really exciting for me. There's a moment in my school career where I, I actually like fell in love with what I was doing. And I'm curious if you're there yet. Do you have a reading on where you are with your relationship with graphic design? <laughs> I think I definitely developed my passion、uh, last semester. It definitely clicked. Yeah. So, like, I'm all in at this point, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely like lost some girlfriends because I was addicted to <laughs> being in the studio, the camaraderie,、yeah. the work. Yeah. What's been the hardest thing about being a design student? Trying to explain to people outside the design world what I'm actually doing. Because they just see me just sitting at the computer, just clicking buttons and, and shifting things around, but they really don't know. They're like, what are you doing?、Yeah. Is this really important? And、uh, they also think it's just easy and that anybody could do it. Could you be more specific on who's coming at you like that? I'm curious.、Uh, just close friends, family as well. They really don't understand. So that's, that's、yeah. especially hard because. I'm in the house and they just see me all, all day just sitting at my computer. They're like, why are you really doing this? Like, what's the angle? Yeah, I feel like that's one of the biggest challenges when it comes to young people, especially pe young people of color, too, is like what I've seen through the years is parents aren't really aware of how important it is that you can build a career off of. The art that we are creating, the, the services that we provide, you know, could be fruitful. So I think what's more important is like having the representation that you can point to them to say, hey, like, like look at Virgil Abloh. He's important, I think, to the design world simply for the fact of what he visually provides as from a representation point of view. And his name being more mainstream, I think, is better for us overall. It has such a, a huge effect. How much do you learn about non white successful practitioners within design? I think there's definitely room for improvement. I'm actually in a design history class right now,、mm -hmm. and most of the designers we're learning about are Europeans. Yeah. I definitely think there should be a balance of people of color versus Europeans, for sure. Our teacher, she does a good job informing us of、uh, non white designers and what they're doing today. She always mentions like、uh, Forrest Young, Bobby Martin, Eddie、mm -hmm. O'Para, Jen Wang, just to、yeah. name a few. But I think adding more people like that, especially during like the, the decades from like 60s to 80s. Yeah. I just did a project on、uh, the designer Emery Douglas. 
Yeah, he's dope. And so I was just blown away by all his work. He mainly designed for the Black Panther Party. Yeah. And just uh, all his graphics were just incredible. Yeah, definitely. So influential. Um, so influential. So good. I mean, like, even going way back, way, way, way back, but W.E.B. Du Bois was an amazing data visualizer, you know? Like, he would take basically social, political issues mainly focus on the state of Georgia, but he would look at the U.S. as a whole, too, and start to put together statistics and data infographics based on his research. And for the most part, a lot of us didn't have a clue that he was that artistic, that capable of that type of work. If you never said anything, I I would never know that he was an artist. Yeah, right? Like, I think it was 2018 or 17, an article came out about that specific work. And I was flabbergasted. Like, I I was blown away. So one of the things that I think that brought us together is Connect Four, a really important and necessary initiative, goes to the next question is, like, how do we get more young people of color interested in the profession within both practice and education so that we can make a more reflective, diverse society within this very homogenous design world. How do we go about that better? Personally, I think uh, the system needs to be revamped, Mm. starting with the teaching, because I think it all starts in childhood. I think we should show more people of color and their achievements and how they've impacted the design world. Yeah. Because representation matters. If kids don't see people that look like them, they can't really relate. And they'll be hesitant to pursue positions like these. Yeah. I think you're right. Representation is really key. So to take a step back to, um, you know, in our conversations, I know your background and this question, I think, affects me in a certain way. And I would love to hear more from you about it. But how does your upbringing of being in mostly an all white community of school affect your mindset? Mm -hmm. And how does it affect your work or or you just being in that space? Yeah, for sure. I grew up in a all white society, basically. Mm -hmm. And as a young kid. I was the only black kid in my classes and my sports teams for years until uh, more people of color started moving into the area. But during that time, I always felt like all eyes were on me 24 seven. Yeah. And uh, since I stood out, I believed that there was no room for error. Um, I felt like I couldn't make any wrong moves or any mistakes because if I did, I would just be labeled uh, the typical screw up black kid or failure or I was ghetto. Yeah. I think looking back and really studying my previous uh, years, I think that I developed a feeling where I had to be perfect all the time. Mm-hmm. That mindset definitely followed me into my high school and college careers, for sure. I always spend time, like a lot of time, making sure my essays, projects, assignments are just on point and just absolutely perfect. Yeah, absolutely. I would also say like the fear is like a duality to it because there's the fear of like you being typecast as what people see on TV or what they've only been shown on TV as far as like in the negative. But then you also get that other side where like you'll hear you're so um, articulate or you're not like what I thought you would be like or something like that. And I feel like growing up in some white neighborhoods, not in Mount Vernon, but when we moved to Richmond, it was like culture shock from going to an all black school to then going to an all-white school and, yeah, feeling that difference. It was like, in Mount Vernon, 
I didn't really necessarily know that I was black because everyone was black. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you, you don't even think about it. But as mm -hmm. soon as I stepped foot in Richmond, it was like, holy crap. Um, out of water. So like being in that new white space and then now staying in that white space, I'm married to a white woman. And then I think we have a good social community where it's really well balanced of all types of backgrounds. But I'm in a state now where I'm really picking and choosing when I want to be in these spaces and how I want to be in these spaces. I feel like I'm taking more agency of myself where we become conditioned to feeling a certain way because we are the minority. And it's now almost like routine where you don't even think about it. But when you take a step back, it can be really harmful. And the things that can be said to you or your interactions with people can be pretty damaging, but you've developed such a thick skin that you mm -hmm. kind of just keep it moving. <laughs> and um, so I've, I've become more guarded in that sense where I, I want to take more agency of, of how I'm living in certain spaces and when I want to be in those spaces. To touch on what you said about those little like comments yeah, and little uh, microaggressions, I've heard that for my whole entire life. And it's stuff like, oh, you're smart for a black kid, or yeah. you articulate well for a black kid, or are you just nice for a black kid? Yeah. It's just those little comments that, like, when you first hear them, you're like, oh, cool, thanks for the comment. But when you, you go back and, like, really think about it, you're like, hmm, that's really low-key harmful. <laughs> it's hurtful. Yeah. Like, why, did you, why did you say that? Yeah. But I don't know. I think it goes back to the fact that some people are just not aware. Yeah. Yeah, they just don't really have that knowledge. They just really don't know how their words really affects people like this. Yeah, certainly. And the tough thing is, too, is then how do you want to proceed with mm -hmm. the interaction that you just had? Like, do I want to invest the time in educating them, making it known how I feel? Which I've definitely done that. But I'm also the type of person that looks to avoid conflict. So... Yeah, definitely. Like putting that energy out there too, I feel, again, then an emotional stress. Because mm -hmm. oftentimes too, you'll get the, I'm not racist, blah, blah, blah. Then you have to explain like racism isn't just like the hooded figure, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I wanted to ask you about Connect Four. Are you getting what you hope to get out of it? Could you see yourself coming from a mentee status to a mentor status? This uh, experience has boosted my confidence immensely because I've always had uh, problems with uh, confidence and just thinking that I'm just not good enough. But definitely from talking to you and uh, the others in the program, that, that's definitely changed. Yeah. Could you see yourself doing it for someone else in the future? or? Um, Definitely. I could definitely see myself uh, being a mentor in the future. Mm. Just got to gain some more knowledge and uh, just get my feet in there, gain as much experience as I can. And, but I could definitely see myself speaking to a... Uh, to people like me. Yeah, that's cool. People that look like me. Hearing from you and what you go through and your thinking, mm -hmm. it feels familiar for where I was. I like to think that's sort of like a bridge that's happening and hopefully helpful to you. I'm really hoping that we can continue past Connect Four where you can always lean on me for stuff, uh, advice, my network. I think there's room for, for us to keep keep this relationship going. Glad we can do this, get together. Thank you, appreciate it. 
And yeah. I just want to say uh, thank you for being my mentor for the semester <laughs> and uh, chatting with me. You get, always give me guidance. Yeah. Thank you for listening. The mentors and mentees in this conversation were brought together by Connect4, Networking for Equality in Design. Connect4 is a growing initiative and current collaboration between the Mercy College Design and Animation Program, Pentagram, and Design Leaders. It supports design students of color by opening real pathways to leadership. Learn more about Connect4 on Instagram at CNNCT4. This podcast was produced by Hawk and Paul Productions in collaboration with Mercy College, Pentagram, and Design Observer.